I'm just curious, would you make the deal? You know, life, I think it all comes down to a moment. A moment where it's that moment you decide, am I going to give up what I've got for what I might get? Now, I'm just curious, and I think we're going to see a little uh, age thing here, but how many of you remember when Monty Hall was the host of Let's Make a Deal? Let me see your hands. All right. All right. Now, how many of you have watched it since Wayne Brady is doing it? All right. And I love Wayne Brady. He's hilarious. I, I'm not sure it works on the game show, but he's, he's got a great mind, and um, enjoy him. I always found the show interesting. I loved the, the wacky costumes. I loved the way people would dress up, some of the things they would wear, their creativity. Some of the costumes were clever. Some were lame, and some were just strange at times. But I don't know if you know this. I, I was doing a little bit of research, and when the show first aired, people did not bring signs. They did not dress up. It kind of happened organically over, over time. Early in the show's history, someone brought a sign in one time with them, and it said, roses are red, violets are blue. I came here to deal with you. And Monty Hall noticed the sign, and he picked the guy. And so all of a sudden, everybody started bringing signs to, to the game. Then somebody goes, well, we need to up that a little bit. So they wore a really weird hat and carried a sign, and everybody started wearing weird hats, and, and it caught on, and next thing you know, someone says, well, i got to do something to get past the weird hats, and so they just totally dressed up in a costume, and it caught on, and people started lining up, and they were all decked out, mainly hoping that they would stand out in the crowd and be the next contestant on Let's Make a Deal, and the show became a hit. And through the years, they've kind of made changes on and off, but the premise has absolutely remained the same. And that is every contestant, whether whether they're a rock star or Raggedy Ann or dressed up like a king, every contestant faces a point where they have to decide. They have to decide if they will make the deal. It's kind of, would you like, What's behind that box, behind curtain number three? Would you be willing to trade what you have? And most of the time, the individual knows what they're trading. They just didn't know what they were trading for. And sometimes it'd be great. They'd win a car, they'd win a vacation. Other times they'd get zonked, and so they'd end up uh, winning a pig in a dress or a year's supply of rice aroni, but they just never knew. But I think that's the nature of trade, isn't it? Everyone here on a regular basis participates in a let's-make-a-deal moment, those moments where you decide if you're going to trade what you have for something you don't have. And although our deals are different, I think the process is still the same when you, when you make a deal. You, you think about whatever it is. Maybe, maybe you're online and you're going to buy something or you're going to the store or the mall. 
And you get to a point where you're browsing through the sites, you're going from page to page, or you're going from store to store, checking out the racks, checking out the shelves and everything. And at some point, you get excited, don't you? You get excited about what is about to become yours. But you have a hurdle that you have to overcome. I think we all go through this. It's that moment, that let's make a deal moment, where you decide, am I willing to give up what I have to get something I want? Now, usually, for for me, this is just how I shop, but it all comes down to that itty-bitty little tiny, teeny tag and when that kind of comes into focus for me, what, what I do is I kind of do the math in my head. And before I look at the tag, I go, what do I think that costs? What would I be willing to give for that? And then reality hits because I look and I go, oh, that's what it costs. And if the math is right, then I say, okay, I'm in. You know, it's, it's worth it to me. Or I may look at the tag and decide I'm going to walk away. Now, I think I shared this a couple, a couple of years ago. I was down in Miami. I was at uh, the Falls. It's kind of an upscale mall. And uh, anybody that knows me knows a couple things about me if I go shopping. I love shirts, and I love a really good deal. Some would say I'm a cheapskate. I almost always buy out of season. And I was walking through this store, and I saw a sign that said 75% off. Now, that's like a magnet. Ooh. And it was shirts. And so I start perusing the rack. And I'm like, these are sweet. I mean, they're really sweet. And I'm looking through them, and I'm looking at all the designs. And then I go down and I pull the tag up and I'm like, 45 bucks, 75% off. I'm doing the math, $11.25. That's in my price range. And I'm thinking, I'd have given twice that for these shirts. I mean, they're really sweet looking. I picked out several of them, half a dozen. Okay, I picked out about a dozen of them. And went in and I'm trying on the different patterns, trying to decide how they look and everything. And a half hour later, after I keep trying and untrying, yes, I shop like a girl. But anyway, uh, there's actually some guys in this church that would attest to that. They, they're like, he shops like a girl. Have you ever been shopping with him? You know. But the, the fact is, I found a shirt. I went up to the clerk, and it was one of these, I thought um, he was part of the royal family when I walked up. Because he's like, excellent choice, sir. I thought, well, I must say so. It was a good choice. And he, st- he starts ringing up. I wanted to know if I was going to put it on the credit card. I said, no, I'll pay cash. And he said, that'll be $112.50. The shirt was $450. It really was. I was like, no wonder it was sweet looking. But, but, but in that moment, in that moment, no kidding, my pulse kind of quickened, shortness of breath. I think I had chest pains at a point. 
I, I apologized. I said, I apparently can't read very well. And I, he goes, I'll, I'll return it for you, sir. I said, no, I'll, I'll do it. And the whole time I'm thinking, bad shirt, evil shirt. This is awful, you know. <laughs> it was a less make a deal moment. It was not worth that to me. It may have been to somebody, but absolutely not me. Twenty dollars is kind of where I try and try and keep it keep it below. But uh, we all face moments like that, don't we? On a regular basis, where we do the cost analysis and say, "Is it worth it to me?" We all ask that question. We live in a culture where people are geared up, sometimes even decked out. People are lining up and. They're trying to stand out. I mean, maybe they're not wearing weird costumes. But we are lining up just the same to make deals. And some of those deals, some of those deals are insignificant. There's not a lot on the line. It doesn't really matter. But some deals come with high stakes. The, the possible consequences are extremely high. But people are making the deals. They're making the trades all the same. And I have watched people through my my life where they are more than willing to trade in their health, their marriages, their families, even possibly trade in their life prematurely. And I've even seen people trade their souls. And... It has bothered me from the time I was pretty young because I have watched people that they will give what they've got for what's behind the box, what's behind box number one. And here's what I find amazing. Maybe I should say sad. Is many times individuals are getting zonked and they don't even realize it. They, they haven't really thought things through. Because that's how it is in this world with those make-a-deal moments. I, I think some of them are a bit more sinister. Would you like what's behind door number one? Would you? And in your mind you're going, yeah, I'd, I'd love that job. I, I, I'd Love that opportunity. I would give anything to own that. Oh, I'd like that power. I'd like that popularity. It's yours. Here's the sinister part, though. It's the unspoken. It's the undercurrent. Great, it's yours. Now going to cost you your marriage, maybe even your family. It's yours. You won't really know your kids anymore. In fact, they're probably going to hate you. It's yours, but it's going to cost you your health or whatever. And friends, people make the trade all the time. And unfortunately, many times, they do not realize the real cost until it's too late. Tragically, I've watched some people that never, ever figured it out. 
There's a, there's a very poignant story in the New Testament. It's a make-a-deal moment. It's found in Luke 18. I challenge you to read it, read it this week. But I'm going to kind of paraphrase the story and modernize it. But it's a make-a-deal moment between Jesus and a, and a very young CEO. This guy had status. He had achieved fame and fortune. And I, I picture this very self-assured, maybe a little bit smug guy approaching Jesus. He's wearing a Hickey Freeman shirt, suit and uh, maybe Gucci shoes. And he asked Jesus a really, really wise, really smart question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, the young man wanted to know the answer to that. He wanted to know how to obtain eternal life. Jesus had given all the evidence of being the Son of God. And so this guy, having a good business mind, had assessed things, looked at the situation. He knew that Jesus was the one that he wanted to ask. And so he did. He goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what's the deal? How does it work? What do I need to do if I want what's behind heaven's curtain? You know, what, what is it going to cost me? What's the trade here? And I almost picture a negotiation, kind of a business negotiation going on. Jesus says, well, there's a few things. He says, well, Jesus, I just want to know. What, what is the best offer that you could put on the table? And what we'll do, I'll counter your offer. We can iron out a deal and we'll figure this out. And so Jesus kind of assesses this guy. Self-assured, Wall Street type. And he says, well, let's sit down at this table. Let's make a deal. Let's make a heavens deal. Now, let's be clear what's behind that curtain. If we make a deal here, you'll obtain eternal life in heaven. And I can see you're a great businessman. So so I'm assuming you're looking for a high payoff, low investment. I'm sure you want minimal risk, right? And my understanding, is that your intention here today? I think the rich young ruler, I think he was impressed. I think the CEO was impressed. He says, yes, that's right. Now, Jesus, time's money, so let's, let's get this worked out. Let's make this deal. And so Jesus kind of shoots back to him. He says, well, for starters, I hope you've mastered the Ten Commandments, all of them perfectly, yes? You know, no lying, no stealing, no adultery, no dishonest business practices, no dishonoring your parents, all the commandments. Young man, he's feeling pretty good. He feels like there's a real possibility he's going to get this deal put together. He's like, done that. Next. I imagine Jesus is quite surprised at the answer. He says, done that. Really? Really? No kidding. All of them. All ten. Perfectly. Young guy. 
He's feeling pretty good. In fact, he's a bit cocky. And I, I, his answer um, is comical to me because he says, all these I have kept since I was, what, a boy. <laughs> How many of you got kids? You know. Since I was a boy, I've, I've got kept them all. And I imagine Jesus is like, really? No adolescent rebellion? No sowing your wild oats? No, no lying to your parents? No sneaking out at night? He goes, no, all ten of them, Jesus. Ten for ten. What else do I have to do to gain eternal life? Now Jesus is absolutely sure who he's talking to. He realizes what the real obstacle is. And he could have taken the young man on. But Jesus knew he wasn't being straight. And so Jesus presses. He says, you still have one thing lacking. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. I see you got most of it right. But one more thing, sell it all. Sell it all, give it to the poor, that's the deal. And suddenly, it gets really quiet at the table. I imagine the color drained from his face. I imagine in his mind he was reeling. See, the rich young ruler at that moment had a let's-make-a-deal moment. This young man looks at what's behind the curtain. He's imagining. I think he looks at heaven. He knows that the stakes are high, but it's all out on the table now. I think he looked at what he was holding, what he was trading, And it's a tragic moment. Because he comes to a point and he says, no deal. It's not worth it to me. Scripture says he walked away. I've always been fascinated by that passage. This guy that had it all, this is the only guy I can find in Scripture that approaches Jesus with a request. It's the only guy that, only person that ever came to Jesus and was worse off afterwards than when he came. I mean, everyone else that came to Jesus, whether, whether they kneeled at his feet, whether they, they fell on their knees in tears, whether they were thrown at his feet, or they ask for something, or ask for forgiveness, or whatever. Always, every single person ever recorded in Scripture left better off. They walked away healed. They walked away whole. They walked away forgiven. They walked away, maybe not for what they asked for, but they walked away with something much greater. This is the only time in Scripture. And it's interesting, as this young man walks off, Jesus says it loud enough that at least the 12 disciples heard him. And Jesus says, 
How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. As a young man's walking off, disciples hear this. They, they start whispering. I imagine one of the disciples was like, what? what's going on here? In fact, this is so unsettling to them that shortly after the incident, you find a, a long conversation recorded in Scripture. And, and basically, one of the disciples kind of blurts out and says, Jesus, is this a new deal? Is this a new deal for obtaining heaven? We, we thought it was about repentance. We thought it was about faith. We thought it was a free gift of grace. A free gift for anyone that would admit that they're a sinner. That would be willing to put their faith and trust in you. But this looks like a new deal. Jesus, does everybody have to cash out? Does everybody have to give everything to the poor to wind up in heaven? Because if that's true, are any of us going to make it? And for the next two chapters of that book, Jesus addresses their questions. Uh, It's a great read, chapters 18 and 19. But I want to zero in. Why did Jesus ask? Why is this the only time in his three-year ministry that it's recorded that Jesus asked somebody to cash out? In a case, just so we get unnervous here, you know, you're wondering, this is not a general requirement for going to heaven. You don't have to cash out today, okay? So take a breath. Salvation is a matter of repentance. It's it's faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's what saves us. But why did Jesus take this approach? Well, I think he picked up on an attitude. It was an issue in the heart. He wanted to flesh it out, so to speak. And so he, he asks, he says, how are you doing with the Big Ten? You know, how are you doing with these commandments? And the young man takes the bait. He takes it hook, line, and sinker. You remember his answer? Perfectly. My whole life since I was what? A boy. I mean, only an arrogant, self-preoccupied, maybe mildly deluded individual would stand there face to face with the Son of God and proclaim a perfect moral track record, don't you think? Jesus decides to bring him to reality. And he does it by road testing one of the commandments. And he chooses the very first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Young man, let's test. You say you've kept all these commandments. In fact, you say you've kept them all since you were a boy. Let's test this first one, see how you did. He says, you you know, you're claiming that God is of supreme authority in your life. Whatever God has ever asked you to do, you've done. Whatever you have been asked to carry out, you have done it meticulously and without any grumbling, you've just stepped up. So God's number one in your heart, huh? You, You love God above everything. Well, as the Son of God, as one who is one with God, 
He's going to ask you to do something. So we can test this first commandment. See if it's the real deal. See if God's really on the throne. See if God's first. You say he's first. Give everything away and come join me. Come follow me. Notice he didn't ask him to lay down his life. He didn't ask him to become a martyr. Didn't ask him to crawl on broken glass or eat grasshoppers or live in a cave. No, he says, give it all up. Give it away. Come follow me. And Jesus kind of ends his challenge. And I'm sure it's got an edge at this point. This isn't a problem for you, is it? I mean, for someone that says God's number one, for someone that says they have totally surrendered themselves, this should be an easy thing. But it wasn't easy, was it? Because it was a let's make a deal moment. Jesus cut this young man's heart wide open for everybody to see. And friends, I, I got to be honest with you. It troubles me sometimes. I I pray for this church often. I I pray and hope that nobody here ends up in a Christless eternity. And friends, I know it's possible. I know it's possible to come here every week. It's possible to be really close to making a deal. It, It is possible... To claim that you love God, but just never make the deal. Just not do it. You know, sometimes I I wonder how many Christians, uh, how many Christians think that they're all squared up spiritually. Got it all together. And if they were to face the same situation that this young man faced, and Jesus said, give it all away. Give it all away and follow me. That we'd push back and we'd walk away and say, no deal. In fact, I I believe it's really easy to distance yourself from this passage, from, from this story. To just go like, this is how we do it. Well, that's not me. I'm not rich. Now that person over there, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, they are, but not me. And it's amazing how we define being rich, isn't it? How we define being materialistic. Being rich, being materialistic starts where my income ends, right? As I move up the scale, I just move the bar up with me. I go, well, this is the new rich. This is the new materialistic. And we just keep moving it. And I want to tell you something. If you live in the United States, there's a 99.9% chance that you are rich. When when you consider that 60% of the world, think about this, 60% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. I spend more than that on a latte. 
we're rich. It's interesting. The rich young ruler. God says, give it away. Sell it all. He doesn't even fire back and go, well, how about just 10%? How about just the tithe? Jesus says, here's the deal. Everything. It's all got to go. Now, I personally believe, I don't know this, but I personally believe that Jesus was calling this young man to be an apostle, to be one of the disciples, to join the 12, to be part of the elite group. Because I think Jesus saw potential in him. He sees potential in everyone, but I think he saw potential for him to be a leader with the disciples, to be a servant with the disciples. But he walked away. You know, what is it about money? Well, let's be honest. We just get weird when we talk about money. Jesus is simply driving the point that with this young man, money was what was at the center of his life. It represented his security. It represented his sense of identity, his self-esteem. It was core to who he was, and it was first. It sat on the throne. Jesus said one time, for where your treasures are, there what will be? Your heart. There will be your heart. It was a heart issue. You know, when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus says, you have to replace whatever is at the center in your life. Jesus says, you've got to put me there. Nothing else can be in the center, even if it's a good thing. See, sometimes we think, oh, well, you're talking bad thing. No, nothing can be there but Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, whatever it is, I mean, what, what do you love the most? What are you holding the tightest to? What is it that is at the center of your life? Some of you may be going, well, well, well it's not money. Well, it's not money until somebody asks you to give it all away. In fact, I don't don't even think we realize how much we do put money central. Because you start losing it and you start realizing it, don't you? You ever ever look at your dollar bills? What is written on the back of the dollar bill? I've got a $10 bill here. And it says, in the United States of America, and then underneath it, in God... We trust. Why is that? I think it's because when they first started printing this stuff, they realized that one of the temptations was I'd start trusting in this instead of God and that we needed to be reminded every time we counted it out, one, two, three, that it's in God we trust. Yeah. People say, oh, no, it's not money for me. Well, I'll give you a really practical thing you can do to assess where you're at. You know, go home, sit down with your spouse, maybe, maybe with your family. And get out your Blackberry, get out your calendar, get out your checkbook, your bank statements, your credit card statements, lay them on the table, get it all out there. And then start asking these kind of questions. What are you investing in? What are you investing your time in? What are you investing your money 
in? What are you investing your energies in? What is at the center? And then ask, where does God fit in? I like what the the translation, the message translates, verse 23. It says, this was the last thing the official, let's talk about the young ruler here, expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let them go. What are you holding on to? When you look at the treasure, when you contemplate what God has done for you, what is it that you hold out? You know, what, what are you not willing to let go of? What, what is it in your life? What is it that you white knuckle in your life and you hold such a death grip on it that you're not going to let it go? What thing, what person, what relationship, what activity? Because at some point you've got to own it. You've got to own what that is. You know, I believe this is the best deal that you will ever have a chance to make in your life. You know what you're getting. It's eternal life. It's a relationship with God. A God that wants the very best for you. And if you make the deal, you never have to wonder if it's real. You never wonder, have to wonder if you can make it because it's guaranteed by the creator and sustainer of this world. You know what you have. You know what you have. In fact, I believe we know what we should give up to make that deal. My question is, have you made the deal? Or is it still out on the table? You know, are, are you still trying to negotiate your own kind of self-serving terms? Or are you trying to, like, test drive and not actually buy in? Because, friends, that's not where you want to be when the final curtain in life comes down. You know, do not live in denial. Do not deceive yourself like this young man did. Oh, I love God. I love God. That's all that matters. What's your record say? Friends, God's either first or he's not. There are, there are no other options, first or not. And if you're sitting there going, well, that doesn't really matter. I just love God. I just love him. Do you? Do you, do you really believe that for a moment? I mean, when did love become so unmoving? When did, when did it become unconsuming? When, when did it happen? When did, when did it happen to you? It, it, it is really a choice we have to make. And, and here's what I wonder, and here's what I want to leave you with. If you were to meet Jesus Christ on the street today, what would he ask you to give up? Because it's what's ever in the center of your life. And friends, that should bring about a make a deal moment. 
And the question really becomes, will you let go? Or do you just walk away? Are you willing to let go or walk away? Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, you have given it all. And God, we praise you for that. We magnify your name for that. And God, forgive us if we get complacent. Forgive us if we have pushed you off that throne. Forgive us if we've never put you on that throne. God, whatever it is, and it's different for each one of us, but whatever it is we're holding so tight to, help us to let go. God, you have loved us, have had grace with us and mercy with us more than we ever deserve. God, I pray that whatever it is you ask of us, there's not a question. Will I make the deal with you? God, I know sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it has just baffled me. But I know your ways are higher than mine. God, we just pray that we'd never walk away. God, we thank you for this day. May what we say and do be pleasing to you. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.